Good morning, everyone. Thank you so much for coming today. Um, my name is Sue. I'm part of the leadership team here. And I've been asked to speak in our series, The King and the Kingdom. Three weeks ago, Dan started our series by looking at how Jesus announced the start of his public ministry in the temple, that the kingdom of God had arrived. Josh then spoke about how Jesus and his followers were moving around, spreading the good news of the kingdom to different places. And then last week, Phil spoke of Jesus calling his first disciples and spoke about how we are also called to go. And today I'm speaking on the passage in Luke 5 that Kay has just read, um, and I'm looking at how the kingdom of God brings forgiveness. I really love this story. It's recorded in the Gospels of Matthew, of Mark, and Luke, and it's one of those stories that there is such incredible drama with it. We have a man who couldn't move. We don't know why he couldn't move. He, we don't know how long he'd not been able to move. It might have been from birth. He might have had an accident or a stroke. But this man had friends, and these friends had faith. So much faith that they went to the man, picked him up on his mat, and carried him along to Jesus. We don't know how far they traveled, um, but carrying anyone on a mat in such a hot country would have been hard work. You can imagine them saying to him, keep going, keep going, we're almost there now. There's the crowd, we can see it. Not long now, you're going to be healed. And they arrived at the house. They realized the crowd was so great as many, many people wanted to hear the words of this incredible teacher. They couldn't even see Jesus. But their faith was equally as great as the crowd's, and they were not deterred. One of them had this great idea, let's go on the roof. The, the houses in, in that, that area, in that culture, they were flats. People used to go up on their roofs. They would, they would sometimes sleep there if it was extremely hot. They would dry food there. They'd dry clothes there. There were steps leading up to the roof. So you can imagine the paralyzed man saying to them, uh-uh, you, you're not going to get me up those steps. There's no way. I'll slip off the mat. You'll fall. You can't do that. But the friends kept going. They removed the roof tiles, exposing the beams that were packed tightly with straw and mud to form the roof of the house. Then they started to pull away at it, forming a hole that got bigger and bigger until the man could be lowered through. Jesus stopped teaching, healed the man, the man picked up his mat, went home praising God. Amazing. Oh, to have such faith and perseverance. Imagine seeing people coming in through this door, totally paralyzed, and going out carrying their wheelchair. It is just as possible for God to do that today as it was 2,000 years ago. And yet we live in that tension that the kingdom is here, but not yet. 
If you didn't hear Dan speak three weeks ago on the start of our series, he explains that so well. Go back. It's on the church website. It's on YouTube. It's the fact that the kingdom of God has come, but we aren't yet seeing the fullness of that, that we won't yet see until Jesus comes again. The kingdom is here, but not yet. But in this story, there is far more than just a physical healing. So I want to pray, and then we're going to look at it in more detail. So yeah, Heavenly Father, will you come? We thank you for this story. We thank you for these friends. We thank you for Luke that wrote this story down, that we can read it. And I say, Holy Spirit, will you um, help me, equip me? Will you help everyone sitting here to listen, to listen to my words, but more importantly, to listen to you, Holy Spirit? Amen. So, verse 17. One day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So news about Jesus was spreading. Crowds were following him, eager to hear his teaching and see the miracles that he was performing. Pharisees and teachers of the law were also in the crowd, and they were devout Jewish leaders. Some would say they were religious obsessives. They were waiting for the kingdom of God to be revealed. They knew the prophecies in what we now call the Old Testament, and they were awaiting a Messiah who would come and save his people from their sins. Their belief was that by intensifying the observance of the Jewish law, by observing more and more human rules and regulations, in addition to the rules that God had given through Moses, that they could create the right conditions, the right atmosphere for God to act, for him to come in vengeance and judge the Gentiles or the non-Jews. That was the kingdom they were expecting. So into this culture stepped Jesus. They didn't see that the kingdom of God had arrived and that prophecies were being fulfilled before their very eyes. Instead, they saw someone that was causing a bit of trouble, someone who was maybe a threat to them, who was challenging their teaching and the way of the synagogue. In Luke 4, verses 8 and 9, in the ESV translation, Jesus proclaimed, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Repeatedly in the Gospels and in the book of Acts, when the writers talk about liberty or freedom, they're talking about freedom from sins. The person is liberated or freed from their past, from their failures, from what they've done wrong. So as Jesus started his public ministry, he declared he was anointed by God to bring physical healing, that is the healing of sight to the blind, but more than just that, but also to bring freedom from sins. 
Up to this point in the Gospel of Luke, we've seen Jesus doing many miracles, but they were physical healings. It says in chapter 4, verse, verse, verse 40, that Jesus healed various kinds of illnesses. But verse 20 in our passage here, it's a pivotal moment. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friends, your sins are forgiven. Sorry, friend, your sins are forgiven. He was speaking to the paralyzed man on the mat. Jesus not only has power and authority over physical illness, he is claiming here he has power and authority over sin. So verse 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? The Pharisees rightly believed that only God could forgive sins. And by sins, I mean wrongs, the things that the Ten Commandments talk about. Do not murder, do not steal, do not envy. Mm, we've all done a bit of that, haven't we? Do not have any God apart from me, says the Lord. I think we've all failed on that one. When we want our way, our plans, our desires, me first, not God. When we worship possessions or achievements or followings or our image or our bank balance rather than worshipping God, we have all sinned. So the Pharisees believed that only God could forgive sins through their system, that they governed and policed with extreme vigilance. Forgiveness occurred in the temple, the system of sacrifices, the, the, the system of ritual cleansing and the Jewish festivals. If anyone could speak on God's behalf and forgive sins, it was the temple priests, not just somebody in a house. But Jesus here is declaring that not only was he able to do what only God could do, but in that ordinary house, um, which by this point had a hole in the roof, in that house, Jesus, God incarnate, God in a human body, was doing what until that point had only been possible in the temple. For us, our church building is just that, isn't it? It's a building, a building where we gather together. But the temple in the Jewish tradition was the place where God's presence met with man. It was where heaven and earth met. But now, through Jesus, the kingdom of heaven had come to earth to ordinary houses in ordinary villages. The presence of the king was being demonstrated and the kingdom was breaking out. And not only was Jesus having an impact in the moment, he was prophetically demonstrating that his identity was the eternal high priest who was able to save completely all who come to God through him because he was to give up his life on the cross, the perfect sacrifice, never having to be repeated. He took the punishment that humanity deserved. He died in our place. The kingdom was breaking out, and some were delighted, but others were not. Jesus 
continues to show his power by responding to the thought of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, demonstrating that as God, he was all-knowing. And so we read in verse 22 and 23, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? What is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk? Sin and suffering were completely linked in the Jewish mind. And we still see that in much of the non-Western world today. It was believed that if a person was physically suffering, then they had done something wrong which had caused it. We see this in John chapter 9 when the disciples see a man who was blind from birth and they said to Jesus, who has sinned, this man or his parents? And Jesus was able to say, neither had, but this man is blind so God's glory could be revealed. And then he went on and healed the man. So a person in this culture would not only be living with their illness or their disability, they would also be living with the torments of why. What have I done to cause this? So Jesus continued speaking to the paralyzed man. I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, go home. Immediately, he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Jesus had forgiven the man, and in so doing, he enabled the man to believe that he could also be physically healed. No one in that room could see the man's sins. They couldn't see if he had been forgiven. But Jesus proved his power to forgive by then bringing the physical healing, because the Jewish, the Jewish leaders believed that if the man's sins hadn't been forgiven, then he couldn't also be healed. Until this point in the gospel, Jesus had been called Jesus, Messiah, Lord, and Son of God. But here, Jesus refers to himself as the Son of Man. We can think, oh, it's just another name. But it's important. And if we look back in the Old Testament, in Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has an amazing vision, and he sees God, whom he calls the Ancient of Days, seated on a throne in heaven. And the vision continues, and he says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worship him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. The Jewish leaders would have known these words. This was the one they were waiting for. This was the kingdom they were anticipating. And in calling himself the Son of Man, Jesus was declaring that indeed he had authority and sovereign power from God, that his everlasting kingdom was being demonstrated before their eyes. He wasn't making it up. He had the authority to do this. And yet three years later, Jesus died a horrific death 
on a cross. Not for anything he had done wrong. He was the perfect one. He was arrested, he was tortured, and he was killed. But in so doing, he fulfilled the words of the prophets. Isaiah 53, in verse 4, it says, Surely he took up our pain and bore our sufferings. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Jesus had to die so that we could have peace with God, so that we could know forgiveness, so that we could be healed. Jesus died, but the grave could not contain his mighty power. And so three days later, he came back to life, demonstrating the words of Daniel's vision that his kingdom is an everlasting kingdom that will never be destroyed. This is the message of the gospel. Jesus died in our place. There is no other way. And if, if we put our trust in him, if we say, thank you, Jesus, we can again have a relationship with God and know peace. And if we confess our wrongs, if we say, Jesus, thank you for dying in my place, if we choose to live by God's power and not our own way, then our sins are completely removed. Psalm 103 verse 12 says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. We are forgiven. We are free. And no matter how much the enemy will lie and remind us of our pasts, our sins are as far away from us as the east is from the west. That's immeasurable, isn't it? There's no distance between the east and the west. It's, it's infinity. And if you've never taken that step before, if you've never come to the point in your life of becoming a Christian, then there's going to be opportunity at the end today for you to pray and know God's forgiveness in your life. John 1 verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Over the years, I've had countless numbers of people say to me, can God really forgive me? And I go back to this verse time and time again. But sadly, what sometimes follows is, but Sue, I feel so guilty I feel so guilty for my one-night stand. I feel so guilty for that affair. I feel so guilty for that abortion. I feel so guilty for watching that online porn. I feel so guilty for not talking before about the abuse so that I could have stopped others being abused. I feel so guilty. And in our story, when Jesus said to the paralyzed man, friend your, sin, friend, your sins are forgiven, did the man then say, Jesus, 
I feel so guilty? No. Jesus declared that he was forgiven and the man believed him. And I think the man was able to fully accept that Jesus said he was forgiven and he really was forgiven. I think the man fully accepted that because he knew 100% that he could do nothing. He was paralyzed. He couldn't move. He couldn't walk along to the temple. He couldn't get the money to give the sacrifices that were needed by the temple priests in order to gain forgiveness. He couldn't fix his past. He could not move on. And he knew only Jesus could break into his life and bring total and utter transformation. If you're a Christian today, do you believe that? Do you believe that as far as the east is from the west, that is how far God has removed your sins from you? Sometimes our pride can stop us allowing God to forgive us. If I try a bit harder, then God will forgive me. If I pray more, if I fast more, if I read my Bible more, if I give more, wow, opportunity next week, I'll give more, then I'll feel forgiven. It doesn't work like that. It's all lies, and that comes from the devil who the Bible calls the father of all lies. Pride and arrogance, thinking that we can fix ourselves, can stop us entering fully into God's abundant grace, into his mercy, into his forgiveness. Please don't let it. If we could earn our forgiveness, then Jesus didn't have to die. The words of an old hymn, it says, What could wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. The passage that Dan read earlier from Revelation, the people knew that because of the blood of the Lamb that they were freed. The blood of the Lamb, the Lamb is is a picture of Jesus. The story of this man who was lowered through a roof is a story about God's forgiveness. And as children of the king, we are to demonstrate the message of the kingdom. And that message includes forgiving others. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray in what we now call the Lord's Prayer, in Matthew 6, he prayed, Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. It's not talking about financial debts. It's it's about our debts before God. Some of us may have learned it in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. The Lord's Prayer is for believers. And Jesus knew that his disciples, who he first taught it to, and us Christians, he knew we would get hurt. He knew we would be offended. He knew how easy it is for us to bear a grudge. And this prayer shows the need for us to be forgiven by God, but also the need for us to demonstrate forgiveness. Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, 
Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And again, in Ephesians 4, verse 32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as Christ God forgave you. R.T. Kendall, a great 20th century theologian and teacher, says, Our mandate is to forgive as we have been forgiven. And a mandate, it's, it's an official order. It's a commission to do something those verses in the Bible, it's giving us that official order. Our mandate is to forgive as we have been forgiven. We could spend hours looking at forgiveness and how we forgive, but we haven't got time. And I know there's people here who have experienced the most horrendous things or have seen loved ones been hurt and harmed, and yet they have known God's incredible grace to forgive. They've accomplished something in that moment, something supernatural. Their natural feelings, their emotions, their hearts, plus God's superpower and strength through the Holy Spirit. That is the only way we can truly forgive. It's not by our own efforts, but it's through God's enabling and leaving the questions, leaving the pain, leaving all that hurt and angst with him. On Monday night last, last week, I'd gone to sleep, and after a bit, I woke up, and I tossed and turned and tossed and turned, and I could not get back to sleep. And finally, I said, God, what, what are you trying to say to me? Because sometimes God does speak to me at night. And instantly, I felt God say, are you going to forgive? And gave me the name of this person. On Monday, I'd had a really hassly afternoon. Uh, I'd rung a friend and asked them to pray with me because something had happened. I'd, I'd had calls, I'd had messages, and I was hurting. Um, I'd, I'd felt I'd been misunderstood, I was hurting, but more than that, it sort of knocked me, knocked my self-confidence, left me feel I was totally rubbish. So I rang a friend, I said, can you pray with me? They prayed with me, and I felt better. But I hadn't forgiven the person that had caused the hurt. And God knew. So at 3 a.m., I had to make a choice. Was I going to totally forgive, or was I going to hold on to my wounds? So I prayed, and I asked God to forgive me, first of all, for my wrong attitude, my unforgiveness. And then I prayed, telling God that I forgave the individuals that had caused, caused me pain on that day. And you know, once I had properly forgiven the pain had gone. 
That is the power of forgiveness. I didn't need to go back to it this week. I didn't need to keep thinking, oh, yeah, and they said that, and I should have said this in response. You know how, how you do sometimes when people have hurt you, when you go over and over and none of that. God had forgiven me for my wrong and I had been able to forgive the person. That is the power of forgiveness. That is the power of the kingdom breaking in. And I want to ask now, are you willing to forgive God today as God has forgiven you? The final verse in our story says, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were all filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. And another translation for remarkable is extraordinary things. Remarkable, extraordinary, they come from the Greek word paradoxa, from which we get our English word paradox. A paradox, it's something that doesn't make sense. It seems you've got opposing facts Difficult to understand. The man was healed. No, the man was paralyzed. He walked out of the house, forgiven and healed. Remarkable, amazing, a paradox. And we are sinners. We are unable to help ourselves. But through Jesus, we are totally forgiven. We can be liberated. We can be free. This is the reality of the kingdom of the king.